My name is Nathan Forster, and I'm asking the big questions of authors and activists, scholars and survivors, poets and priests, therapists and theologians, and everyone in between. This will be a resource for people who, deep in their bones, think, surely God's kingdom is deeper and wider than the box we have sometimes put it in. And what better way to discover this than by learning people's stories and their specialities, in order that we may deepen and widen our perspective on faith, community, society, and life. So, journey with me as we go deeper and wider. Welcome back to Deeper and Wider. Uh, I want to acknowledge it has been a while since we've done an episode of Deeper and Wider, but I'm excited to share these up-and-coming episodes with you all. It has been a busy year for me. I've started going to a new church since September last year. I bought a house and I've been renovating it, and I've also been doing a postgraduate degree. So you can imagine it's, it's been quite a lot. Today we're going to be exploring the intersection between worship and music, or what I have called in today's episode title, The Musical Act of Worship. And I thought, who shall I interview than none other than the extremely talented and wonderful human being, David Andrew. Now I know David Andrew through church, but David is no stranger to the wider world, especially in the world of music. David is a composer, artist, producer, full-tilt existentialist, and collaborator-slash-producer with Gangs of Youths, and sideman with Charlie Collins and Chochi Milani's upcoming project, Pay, which is spelt P-A-E. David has been creating contemplative piano works for the last few years as a response to the breakneck pace of modern existence. His newest project is a post-classical dance exploration, taking where he's been and directing it into a club at 3am, aiding people's return from the peak of the night with cinematic clouds of sound and beats that make the body move on its way back down. So David has been doing some pretty exciting stuff. Now I'm going to have all the links in the show notes to where to find his beautiful music. And I'll also direct you to Spotify specifically uh, after our conversation. But for now, here is David Andrew, hearing his story and having a conversation on, well, many things actually, but primarily speaking on the musical act of worship. So here is today's conversation with David Andrew. What were your early encounters with with Christian faith? Um, I I was a church baby, man. I grew up in church. I was immersed in the church world. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sure I would have spent either my first or my second Sunday of my life um, having been in church. So it was everywhere, mm. all the time. Um, and we were part of, of uh, you know, pretty centered down the down the line. Pentecostal tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just, you know, but not, not crazy 
Pentecost or not, yeah. you know. They're um, not swinging off like the ceiling or anything like that. Or yeah, yeah, you know, no, no flags. Not that flags is a bad yeah, okay. thing. But yeah, like, yeah. We didn't. Yeah. It wasn't that far. I hear you. I um, hear you. And so yeah, and so so I only say that to say this is that it was a fairly uh, it influenced the culture of um, the way that we did life. It wasn't just like a periphery thing. Mm. Um, church was a uh, a major influence on the way that we conducted ourselves from mm. Monday to Saturday, yeah. not just to Sunday. Yeah. Um, and so you know, I'm grateful for that. Um, you know, less grateful for some of the you know, <laughs> not listening to worldly music. I didn't discover Beatles till, you know, I was maybe 13 and that annoyed oh, me. Oh, wow. That's, wow. <laughs> my goodness. So it was, so part of that lifestyle was like in that, that Christian music world zone well, or? Yeah. Like it wasn't legalistic. It wasn't a, sure. like a terrible thing. It was just one of those, like, I didn't really, uh, it wasn't really part of the cultural landscape. And so I didn't really mm. listen to that. Mm. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think that, uh, I, I, I haven't heard stories of like my parents burning their records and stuff like that, but yeah. if it was, it would have been the generation before or whatever, Yeah, or before I was born. But, um, it, it just, it wasn't, didn't have access to, um, you know, so much of the cultural landscape of who I am as a person now. And, and so kind of like, there's a little bit of me that mourned the fact that I was, it took me so long to get into the Beatles, even though I was only 13. Yeah, right. How'd you find the Beatles when you, when you started listening then? Uh, my auntie gave me this record for, uh, I think it was my birthday, mm. uh, as the Beatles, the number ones record yep. or album. And uh, for, just fell in love with just the, the off-the-wall creativity, the, mm. the, you know, the, the landmark the cultural landmark that the Beatles were the fact that like we could never have a Beatles again. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Um, we could never have a, uh, almost they were like the world's first pop stars. Mm. These were these celebrities, these giant force of like this perfect storm of like media and, um, uh, the British invasion and Mm. kind of like this, this turn of, um, the decade and what was going on there. So like just this perfect storm of all these things, uh, creating an artist, you know, a band that was making, uh, progressive out there, insane, uh, insanely progressive music. You listen Mm. to their progression from, you know, please, please me all the way through to like what happened with, you know, Abbey road. Mm, mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, so uh, sorry, uh, I'm tangenting. No, on, you, you well into my you, tangent on <laughs> how much I do love the Beatles. Uh, Would so, you yeah, say that your the, the, they sound like your favorite? I mean, oh, favorite no, is a strong look, word because there's so much good favorite, music out there, but they're very influential is, by the sounds of it. To say to say that Beatles is your favorite band is the lowest hanging fruit of yeah. all time. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, sure. Who's your favorite band? Oh, the Beatles. Ah, oh, yeah, I especially, mean, obviously, especially from Evo as well. Like, I feel like you got a they have a wide variety of of favorites. Yeah, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I uh, I stumble like I don't listen to them that much anymore. But like, I'll go back maybe two or three times a year and like just kind of immerse myself a little bit in their music because you just go, this is, 
A, it's great to listen to. It's fun music. There's mm. so much to be engaged with. Um, but I think the most important thing about the Beatles uh, is the fact that they have pioneered everything that we have in the pop realm mm. today. Yes. Like the like we have so much to thank them for in regards to the way that they use the studio as an instrument and the way that they would um, push writing and the way that they would uh, kind of grab all these different styles and mash mm. them together, like the, the progressive nature of what they did, um, that we as modern musicians have to tip our hat yeah. to everything that they've done for us in the same way that, you know, European classical musicians have to tip their hat to Bach and have to tip their hat to yeah. Um, Haydn and, and all the stuff that's kind of been established for us to be able to mm. um, stand on the shoulders of. So that I mean, that's primarily why I love the Beatles is the yeah, fact that we yeah. owe them so much. We owe yeah. them such a debt of uh, musicality and gratitude for what they've done. Mm. Mm. Um, yes. But to have a favorite band is a very tricky thing for oh. me because I yes. it's there's so many areas that you love or that you can kind of pull out as favorite parts. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like it's easier to go like, what's your favorite band at the moment? What's your favorite band of like the certain genre? Or, yeah. Like, yeah, totally. Yeah. That makes like, it more specific to, to answer the question as opposed to more the broad, broad sweep. But I mean, fine. but for the Beatles, I mean, as you're saying, the level of influence they've obviously had on, on music as yeah. it is in the 21st century. Um, totally. is is quite quite profound and so you got to discover them obviously quite i mean you could say quite late in the game but it's not like you're in your 20s or anything so so you were what how old did you say when you first yeah. listened to them uh, i was i was 13 okay 13 it's 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 still young and it's still you know uh, still long enough to be like guys i missed out on like a good i feel like i came to consciousness with about music mm. from like the age of maybe seven yeah seven or eight. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I was like, guys, I could have had like a good six, uh, six years listening to the Beatles and I was robbed of these six years. <laughs> <laughs> I was probably just being overly dramatic. Let's be honest. Uh, look, I'm sure you've caught up now. So that's, that's a good thing, I guess, for, for yourself. And, <laughs> yeah. and yeah. I, I guess that lends itself to the question about perhaps your early encounters of, with yourself playing music. Like, tell us about your early encounters with, with, with playing music. Uh, well, my, my dad was a drummer. My dad played drums. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, nine-tenths of the journey of being a musician uh, is family of origin. I also think um, I hold to a position of uh, we... I don't think that I was necessarily born to be a musician, but what I think happened was that very early on in my formative years, I recognized that you could get applause and affirmation and attention from uh, performing or from music. Uh, and so, you know, dad, who's a drummer, um, uh, grandparents who are, you know, deeply steeped in uh, like the, the song traditions of um, Scotland. Uh, and uh, so that kind of that performance, that kind of like engaging in songs um, was very much a kind of my start, my entrance into figuring out parts of my identity, parts of my psyche. Mm. 
Mm. Um, that and coupled with, you know, like my, my granddad would always, you know, get this young kid up to sing at fam- well family events, but honestly any event possible. Mm. Um, and so something ticked inside of my brain, which went, Oh, wait a minute. If I do this, then people will applaud and give me attention. Mm. Um, which is my working theory of like, uh, I don't think that I was born to be a musician. I just think that very early on, I recognize that those are the things that give you attention. Mm, mm. Um, you know, doing, doing the ego work of yeah, yeah, totally. going like, let's, let's, let's look at what's really going on here, guys. Yes. Um, it was all my ego. <laughs> it was all my like, but in doing, in having that platform of ego, it's been something that I have invested a lot of time in. And because it's something that I've invested a lot of time in, it's something that I've become good at. Yes. And it's something that I um, perceive the world through the frame of the thing that I'm good at. Mm. Um, it's something that helps me reconcile and make sense of the chaos um, mm. because I, you know, because I've chosen to invest my life in the arts. Yeah. It's how I make sense of it. Yes. Um, as opposed to the high and lofty, well, I'm just, I'm an artist and I <laughs> see things differently than other people. Like, no, you're not. You got attention and you loved that attention. Yeah. And then consequently you've chosen, you've lived your life in a way that you've become very good at that. And so it's what's, it's been what's allowed you to see the world through that reference point. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. That's, that's my taking away all the magic of how I got into music. No, no, but I think, I think it's actually a healthy, <laughs> healthy perspective though, to, to unpack that though, in a way, because yeah. I think, um, you know, as, as some, some certain Christian mystics and, and authors would say, you know, we, we can't start with the ego and the ego has that inherently, it's not inherently wrong in the sense of it plays that part in our formative journey to then yeah. we learn to integrate it and then transcend. Yeah. It's like, okay, all right, I just, yeah. we just got to be honest with our history and be honest with ourselves. Yeah. Be like, yeah, like these are the reasons why no. I stumbled into what I'm doing. And I'm gonna, I'll be thankful for it, and then um, you know, do the work and and um, yeah. include it and move on. In, well, you know what I mean by move on, not not necessarily yeah. config oh, no. it, but but certainly. Um, no, we just got to fall upwards, live. man. Yeah, onwards and upwards. That's that's right. Or falling <laughs> upwards, perhaps. Who knows? Um, I'm, I'm I'm a fan of that particular Christian mystic. Yes. <laughs> okay. There you go. There you go. We're on the same page then. Good, good man. <laughs> so. So obviously it sounds like that both faith and music were like your two baptismal waters from birth by the sounds of it. I mean, is there, so. is there a time when faith became more, more central to you in terms of like, I'm not necessarily saying you have to have had an experience, but I am curious about how faith did progress for you as you came into yourself. Um, look, I think earlier I would have tried to, um, uh, concoct some kind of a story of like, you know, really choosing faith for myself and really, you know, not, we're well, not wanting to be lukewarm, but like actually choosing a faith. And, um, uh, but no, no, I was, I was kind of like born into this environment and, um, it was the, you know, the formative years of my life, music and faith, uh, were always present and always how I made sense of the world. Mm. Um, and 
you know, thank, thank God for it. Thank God that I was, you know, these are the, these are the paths that my parents and my um, formative, you know, village had kind of created a way for me to, to step into. If there was a moment that I, you know, a a distinct moment of faith uh, becoming real to me was probably the moment uh, later on in life, in my late twenties of, uh, uh, well, I mean, up to, up to that point, all the way through my, um, uh, essentially twenties was, was a learning to rid myself of a Sunday school faith of a just believe so faith and, and figure out what I actually meant. Um, Mm. and it's also a dangerous thing when Pentecostals start to read books. So, um, having encountered (laughs) other traditions and then learning to, um, for me, uh, it was learning to incorporate a less rigid stance to my faith. Yeah. And so less trying to like have all the answers and, and really just trying to encounter God wherever God reveals himself through, um, all the breadth of Christian tradition that we have. Mm. Um, and not shutting down those ideas. And then, um, uh, and then the real, you know, real significant moment for me was like kind of, uh, being faced with some personal tragedies where you absolutely have to question what's going on. And, um, for me, it was a kind of like a a losing of my faith or, or, or a mercy killing of the structure of my faith. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in order to find, uh, what, truly is faith mm. and um that ha- that for me has been guided by the fact that i think that faith by definition is not certainty faith is a intangible faith is something that you uh can't have empirical evidence on mm. otherwise it ceases to be faith mm. like we must uh, faith implies that we have to take a leap yes yes and so um for me trying to find moments of uh Certainty uh, is often a, a signpost of maybe I'm not following the tradition of the Bible. Mm. And the moments where I have to take leaps is more often a sign of like, okay, I think we're doing faith. Yeah. yeah. I think this is the moment that we, you know, and so, uh, so upward, you know, and it's been a long journey. This has been a, a dramatic journey for me to get to the spaces where I, I often find that faith for me looks, like in the moments that I'm uncertain is the moment that I have the most certainty and the moment that I have certainty around my faith or a systematic structure of faith Mm. is the moment that I uh, am most suspicious about what I'm believing. Yeah. Interesting. (laughs) Who who prayed the prayer? um, uh, uh, God rid me of God. Oh, I don't know. But I might find God. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe unpack that a bit more. I mean, I think I, I think I get where you're at, but I mean, I know yeah. some of my listeners might be like, "Whoa, what do you, what do you mean get God get rid of me?" Maybe we should maybe we should walk it back in a, in a way that doesn't make me sound completely heretical. But <laughs> <laughs> but essentially, that that prayer of like uh, my conceptions, my um, yeah. my uh, prejudices mm. about God, my um, blindness that I've employed. And that's like, that's also a great definition of um, uh, denominations mm. is yeah. like just groupings of people who see God 
as mistakenly as I do. Hmm, I like that. Yeah. Um, and so uh, God rid me of God's so that I might find God is essentially a way of saying, God rid me of my, what I've put mm-hmm. into this Christian faith, yeah. my agendas uh, and the things that I have called God, mm. um, which is why, um, you know, uh, taking the Lord's name in vain, when you recognize that taking the Lord's name in vain has nothing to do with um, uh, cursing, Mm-hmm. has everything to do with vainly using his name to prop up our own agendas. Yeah. Um, you know, that's when that prayer of God rid me of God is very effective. Yes. Yes. Um, and so it's just, it's just, uh, my faith is now continually me trying to get my hands off the steering wheel. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, that's, that's uh, good. And, uh, and, and, uh, you know, cause it, at the end of the day, um, I came to realize that any, uh, we, our hearts are prone to wonder like the hymns tell us that, um, we are so ready to take away Christ's work on the cross, his salvation work, mm. um, and use our own efforts mm. to prove our Christian, uh, our atonement. Yeah. Um, and so that's quite heretical to understand mm-hmm. that what we do is go like, Hey, it's cool that you died on the cross and all, but you can, you can hmm. stop hanging on the cross. Cause we got this one. Yeah. Like if we, if we actually think about that act, that is, it's disgusting. It's, it's heretical. Yeah. It's the opposite of what faith is. It's the opposite of the gospel for us to go, Hey, it's not, it's nice and all, but I got this. Yes. Um, so learning to not, try and remove Christ from the cross and put myself up there. Yeah. Wow. Um, um, is, has been, uh, an approach, a mantra, a way of me, uh, a helpful exercise in me learning to return to, um, God. Wow. And it's a, like, it's a daily thing. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Like learn to not put ourselves on the cross because that's disgusting and heretical. And yes. That's the thing that we should be repenting of every single day. Absolutely. Um, Because if we repented of that rather than um, just repenting on our our band-aids, so Mm. repenting on the sin, which essentially is the band-aids of, um, have you read Counterfeit Gods by Tim Keller? Yes. Yes, I have. Right? So um, he talks about that every functional sin problem we have is not a a behavioral problem. It is a problem of worship. Yes. Mm. Mm. Um, And so who have you, like, like, who do you worship? Like, what are the counterfeit gods? So when things go down in your life, what do you run to? Do you run to the drugs? Do you run to the power? Do you run to um, manipulating people? Do you run to um, nationalism? What do you run to? Yes. And um, he, uh, yeah. And so that book was instrumental in, in kind of going, Hey, the thing that we should be repenting of is the fact that we are not worshiping God. Yes. And if we would repent of that first, Mm. we would find that a lot of our, um, functional sin problems are problems that we have addressed at the source rather mm. than addressed the band-aid that we've we put over something mm. Mm. yeah yeah we, so we've covered a lot of territory no, no but but it's, it's it's good territory and i think actually relevant territory especially as it relates to kind of the intersection of of worship and music and i'm very aware that worship isn't a music genre however 
of course. Um, <laughs> what do you mean, man? It's, it's an industry. What are you talking about? Yeah, that's right. It's a whole. It's a whole industry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's brilliant. So I'm I'm curious because I mean we obviously have been talking a bit about music, a bit about a bit about worship. Where where would you see? Well, you touched on it a bit, but I want you to touch on it a little bit more, and that is. What to you is worship, and then what is worship's relationship to music? I mean, I we the misnomer is that we think worship is songs, obviously, and it's almost like it's it's almost cliche at this at this point yeah, to you, to talk true. about that. Yeah, um, and then uh, you know, my favorite is like uh, when we get to the giving the offering message at church. Like, all right, we're going to continue our worship, um, which I think is great. I, it's, it's a good um, signpost for getting us, you know, reminding us of the truth, but it's almost become cliche now Yeah. Um, of uh, worship is, our, is, is everything that we do that's either directed to God or is directed to other things. Cause we are worshiping. We're always worshiping. Yeah. We're worshiping. Um, yeah. Yeah, and even if we're not worshiping outwardly, we are worshiping ourselves. We are, mm. we we basically have, we are at all times have placed sovereignty, um, in some direction. We've placed uh, the kingship of our lives into either God or into ourselves or into um, matter or into uh, progress or success or mm. into our intellect. Mm. Um, you know, which is uh, which is a danger. For us, you know, we've just got the right thoughts about God. We're so, mm. we're so deeply advanced in like the spiritual things. Like, no, you're not. You're you're worshiping your own intellect again. Um, so uh, worship uh, is uh, basically whatever we do that's directed uh, towards something. Every, we're worshiping all the time. Mm. We're giving our um, giving away that sovereignty and um, that higher than us to. Um, something or we're giving that higher than us to a space within ourselves as well. Like what the idealized version of ourselves, mm. um, or, you know, whether that be the, the successful man or the, or the Ubermensch as like Nietzsche looks to, likes mm. to talk about. Um, the intersection though, is that uh, music does carry such, um, such weight uh, and I think it has to do with the fact that um, we are we are called to um, be creators in the same spirit of our creator. We um, we make we're called to do we're called to create beauty, um, not because beauty is uh, like a, a kitsch or secondary thing. Um, we're called to create beauty because beauty is the nature of God. Um, and so what happens when we, when we write worship music is that we're often kind of, um, we're, we're worshiping, we're putting our worship towards something. Mm. Um, we are using, um, beauty to, um, communicate those things. And so there's power in the fact that we are using, um, a, a aspect of the character of God to do that. Yes. Um, and, uh, so, so let's talk about just, uh, the fact that, um, 
beauty is is the character of God. Beauty is not just a secondary thing. Beauty is not just something that we waste time on uh, on this side of eternity until we get to heaven and we just get to like be immersed in like circling around that throne, um, seeing new nature, seeing the new aspects of his nature revealed every time. Um, it's actually us partaking in the very fabric of what it is to remake the universe um, mm. into the shape and form of the kingdom of heaven is to wow. remake the fabric of the cosmos together uh, when we create beauty because we are partaking in the character of God. Yeah. Um, so therefore, um, basically what I think worship music is, um, is anytime that we create beauty, Mm. that's worship yeah um and so the definitions of you know what, what's worship music what's not i think they're very uninteresting to me mm. um i think that anytime you create something that is beautiful um you're worshiping yeah. um or anytime that you create something that um demonstrates the character of god mm. um it, it's worship mm. uh that that being said um moving across to my philosophy of art is that I um, believe I have a suspicion mm. that art is perhaps the closest language that we have that is of use to describe God or is mm. used to de- use is useful to be able to talk about God um, because uh, God is knowable and unknowable is tangible and intangible. He is, um, uh, he is the God of the universe and he also makes himself available to us as well. Mm. And so there is this um, almost paradoxical nature to who God is that um, I see contained within art because art is able to be understood in terms of definition language and, and these boxes that we're able to categorize art into. And then art also transcends all of that. You can't truly box art you can't truly understand everything that's going in this mm. but but you have an inkling you have something has been communicated to you um and so i think that when we use art um we are communicating on a level which gets us closer to the divine than if we were just delivering a sermon because you are you've got words you've got lyrics you've got these things which we can box and get our head wrapped around in definitions and then you've got melody and you've got harmony and you've got these intuitions of art yes. that refuse to be boxed. Mm. And so when we, when we partake in worship music, we are um, partaking in the boxable and the unboxable. Wow. Um, I love that. The tangible and the intangible. And so when we do that, we're entering into the space, which kind of gets to hold um, faith as kind of truly as we are able to, or like the truest representation of that, which is like, I know you and I don't know you. Yes. Like I, I love you. And yet there's so much more that I don't know how to love you well. Mm, um, wow. And I have music and art helps us move our intuitions towards something. It's like yeah. going into an art gallery and um, like you don't, I've given up trying to figure out art. Yeah. Yeah. Um, totally. Because it can tie your brain in two. Um, and you know, it's always good to get more and more about the theory, but it's always great to like educate yourself. I'm all for that. But sometimes walking into an art gallery and letting the art wash over you without having to try and analyze every single thing. Yes. Um, I guarantee you that it will alter the fabric of your being in some way or another. You'll walk out on the other side 
mm. having been bathed in something that you can't put your finger on that's formed you. Mm. Um, and so I think that worship, like the, the four or the three songs at the beginning of a, of a service is not just like stuff to get us to the sermon. I think it's things that are forming us on a molecular level that we aren't quite aware of. Wow. Um, we're partaking in a sacrament. We're partaking in a, a transformative practice, mm. um, just showing up and being a part of what's going on. We're partaking in something which is forming us on a level that um, even though we can't wrap our heads around, it is instructing the way that we walk out of the church building. It's instructing the way that we speak to people. It's instructing the way that we mm. um, think about the nature of God. Mm. So mm. Um, which, that's which, a long-winded explanation of no, your question. and it's, it's quite beautiful. I mean, <laughs> e- even if you look at the Psalms, for example, you know, a lot of it was music. It's, it's almost like music or just art more broadly. We don't have to just speak about purely music, but, yeah. but, but, but art, beauty, there is something so inherent yeah. to that in our, in our scriptures here at the, the biblical story throughout that yeah, you know, I mean, biblical narrative. It's, 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 it's uh, yeah. to no surprise really, especially with the way you've just framed it and <laughs> thought about it. I was like, Oh yeah, of course, art and, and God, how there is <laughs> something, something that you said, especially about both the imminence and transcendence got me thinking about Jesus as it relates to art, because what, what I love about yeah. Jesus is that um, in, in Christian theology, the idea that God has stepped into human history in a person, that doesn't mean that we pin Jesus down. And so there's both that imminence in the sense that, yeah. Uh, there's a sense in which we can understand, but not an arrogant way. But, um, yeah. but there's also an yeah. infinity to this nonetheless incarnated God. Um, yeah. This might sound strange. Have you ever seen Doctor Who or know anything about Doctor Who? Or is that just completely a reference that's way over your head? Well, well it d- depends on how like forgiving your fans are to like nerds. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, there's a, there's maybe a time, I may have watched a couple of episodes. There's a time machine called the TARDIS and yes. the TARDIS. What I love about the TARDIS, I'm, I'm nerding out for a bit, but give me, give me permission. <laughs> it, it, it will get back to, to, to your point. And yes, I have seen to the interview. Uh, All right. Okay. So, um, sorry to my listeners, but I'll explain the TARDIS. So the TARDIS is that time machine, right? But what I love about the TARDIS is that it, it's on the outside three dimensions. Like it's, um, it's a three dimensional, you know, it looks like a telephone box. Um, but once you get on the inside, it's infinite dimension. Um, so there's on the outside, there's, there is form, there is shape. There is a sense of, of knowing you can walk around, you can analyze, um, you can go, okay, that's, that's this box, this telephone box, like time machine. But once you get on the inside, there's an, an infinite dimension to it. And thinking about Jesus, um, Jesus is in some ways like a TARDIS. There's everything that we can know of the fullness of who God is, is revealed in this person. And yet that doesn't mean that we can yep. be arrogant to think that we've got Jesus pinned down and all worked out. Uh, and it's yep. that eminence yep. and transcendence kind of meeting in the incarnation. And when it comes to music, yep. I guess the way I see it is, is in that sense of like, we can on one hand have an experience of art uh, and perhaps more specifically to what we're talking about, this experience of, of, um, of music, especially in the act of um, 
of, of worship. And yet, once you actually just sit, sit in that which is before you, which does have some sense of shape and form and melody and lyrics and whatnot, there is also a sense of an, of an, of an unending experience of who God can be um, in that very act. It's, I mean, I'm mm. riffing right now. I'm not exactly making a, a, a final point. I'm just taking what you said and going, wow, that sounds beautiful. That's, that's a yeah. way of... of, of oh, man. We're, all, we're all just riffing, man. That's right. <laughs> we're all just riffing. Life is a riff. You never know, right? <laughs> totally. Life is jazz, man. Oh, I like that. I was actually thinking of jazz as well, especially yeah. when you were talking about like the uncontrollableness to yeah. do um, certain aspects of music. Jazz was probably the first thing that, that as a genre of music that came to mind. But yeah. uh, anyway, I mean, I could speak of that for hours, but what, <laughs> what, what has the musical act of worship meant to your story on a, on a more personal level? Um, it, it has been uh, the thing that has held me when words have failed. Yeah. Uh, I, I, again, because I have um, invested my life in the thing that initially my ego drove me towards and because I became good at it and because I became um, skillful on the instrument and it became my way of seeing the world, my reference point of making sense of the world. Um, it has for me been a therapy and a friend and a, um, a companion to, to be able to, uh, kind of make sense of the chaos and make sense of some of the things that mm. could destroy us and yeah. um, bringing things to God, uh, in, in prayer for me often looks like, um, melodies. Mm. Prayer looks for, to me like, um, texture and sound and tone and, it, and it's these offerings that I bring, but they're also ways of me communicating my, um, my heart, my emotion, my, what, what I bring to the table. Mm. Um, and communing with God and, 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 um, so for me, it's, it's, in, it's incredibly mystical. Um, mm. uh, and for me, it's also, it, it removes the ability to have definition and to um, be able to control the narrative. Um, cause a lot of prayer, right. Is us, um, seeking to control the narrative sometimes. And so, mm. Mm. Um, prayer, which helps us remove ourselves from the driver's seat. Yes. Um, you know, that's why like the ancient, uh, creeds and ancient prayers and, and, and the Lord's prayer is just so wonderful to be constantly yes. praying. Yes. Very good. That yeah. teaches us to get out of the driver's seat. Yes. We don't even get to talk about ourselves until like, you know, uh, two thirds of the way in or a, th a third of the way in. Yes. We wow. don't get to talk about our daily bread till later. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, it's just, it's, uh, yeah, music has been for me ways in which to remove myself from the driver's seat. Mm. And, um, yeah, I've, I've really learned to, I feel like I've invested a lot of my time into, um, trying to learn the language of music, trying to learn the, as best as we can, because you can't. I can, I can play you a phrase on the piano uh, and I can kind of give you an indication of what emotion that is, but there's no real art to that. Mm -hmm. um, but I have um, tried to pursue 
uh, that in order, you know, to to honor the craft, to be able to speak to God in ways which um, draw me closer to Him, away from myself, mm. um, and uh, I just find it immensely rewarding. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. If there's a more profound reason than that. Yeah, yeah, no, no, that's good. Yeah. So. Here's, here's a question for you. It's probably more related to church than your own yeah. particular story, but it's a basic one, but I think it's an important one just to unpack. And that is why have music in our churches at all? Um, I mean, I'm for it, but I'm curious. Like it's just more of a meta question around like, it's strange that we literally come together and we, we sing and we have, you know, guitar and piano and drums. It's, it's like, yeah, what's, what's going on there? Why this, why music? Why in our churches? Um, look, I think that, uh, the, when you look at cathedrals that have been built, mm. um, and you look at these great works of art and you look at the stained glass windows, you look at the architecture, you look at the grandness mm. of, um, the scale, the openness, the, mm. um, uh, so much of what existed there was them using art to communicate. It was functional art, using art to speak truth to a illiterate mm. crowd of people. Yeah. Um, you know, and and also you've got uh, you know the tr- part of our tr- church tradition has been um, that these people had the book. You didn't have the book. It was dangerous to give you the book. So the priests got to read the the Bible in Latin, and then he would like communicate what the word says to you. You would mm-hmm. just after you couldn't read the books, but we could present the Bible to you in yeah. pictures and in yeah. art and in mm. the sanctity of the space and the smells of the space. And yes. so I think the, the Christian tradition has always incorporated art, mm. um, let alone the fact that like Romans talk about the first Bible being nature. Yes. Yeah. Like, let alone the fact that like God has revealed himself in nature in um, the, and if you look at the perfection of nature, if you look at the art that exists Mm. within nature, if you go outside and you breathe in that scent, breathe in these smells, breathe in like, uh, even like, man, taking time to be mindful and, and, Mm. and getting to the level of looking at the blades of grass. Yes like bringing ourselves down into a space where we are reminded of the beauty and reminded of our place in the universe, mm. um, reminded to hold ourselves not too highly, but also be aware that Christ died for us. Mm. Um, you know, uh, I, I, so I think that art itself has um, historically been, been seen as, as a method for us to engage with Christ and being in, instructed by his teachings. Um, but also it, it does something to us. It, it, it transforms the matter of our being. Mm. Um, mm. Uh, plus also practically, um, I think that having a melody that you can sing that informs your theology. Mm. So teaches you about how to behave, um, with a catchy earworm melody, mm. um, that you, basically walk out of a church and then on Monday you find yourself humming that melody or repeating that melody or singing mm. that song. Mm. Um, that's great. 
because yeah. what that's doing is helping form within you these mm. behaviors and these patterns, these truths of, of theology Yes, um, that music has helped you do. So on a practical level, if people are like, don't give me this arty crap, just tell me about how I can practically be better. Um, music is a technique that uh, helps with character formation because it reminds us of the truth. It's like, you know, learning your ABCs with a song mm. or learning your times tables with songs. Um, we have used music for practical reasons for a long time. That's right. Yeah. Um, so in a practical character formation style, mm. that's how music can be of use to us on like its most pragmatic level. Yes. Um, but I, but I have a suspicion like N.T. Wright talks about um, when we take Eucharist mm. And when we practice this thing, it uh, basically is like lampposts pointing us home. Um, the partaking of this sacrament, the partaking of this mm. ritual of our lives um, does that. And then he talks about how it, um, he, he talks about how it changes the very molecules of our being, the very fabric yes. of our being. Yes. Um, I think art does that as well. Um, and mm. can I prove any of this? Absolutely not. Um, but that's, kind of this the tricky slippery timey wimey nature of art right mm, yeah <laughs> yes yeah i just just really quickly i appreciate you said timey wimey that's a very dark yeah. thing. but um but but, but I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about man yeah that's great but um, <laughs> but i think i think i think to your point um especially when you especially spoke about the eucharist and um nt Wright's reflection of it being like a signpost and then linking that to art i mean if art is so as you've rightly put with Roman, so so integrated, so interwoven into the fabric of all of reality, then yeah. it it's really is just a given that there no would be... It's a no-brainer, really, isn't it? Yeah. And um, linking that with even how this, this concept of signpost about how we're being formed into a people, it reminds me of this one-liner. Um, it's a while back, but you wrote something for Eternity News and you had this one line. I might, the quote might be slightly wrong. I am going off the top of my head, but I think it was something like that. Beauty is a protest against entropy. That, yeah. that if yeah. this world is heading somewhere and, um, and that it's, it's a good ending found in Jesus remaking this world, then beauty isn't just this kind of distraction or, or perhaps more specifically in terms of music and churches, isn't this, this distraction? It's actually a way of speaking and integrating that which will become true for all time, for all of creation. I mean, that's... Yeah. And I think if we see it like that as well, I yeah. mean, how could, we, how could we not have art as, as, part, as yeah. the basic fabric of our being and how we, yeah. and how we go about our worship? We we can only do that if we give out give the supremacy over to our intellect. Yeah. Wow. And to be honest, man, that's an easy way to go about doing the Christian faith. If I can mm. get my head around it, if I can control it, mm. I can just I can know what I'm doing, and then I can know um, who's right and who's wrong, and who's going to heaven, who's going to hell. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. Um. And and art continually reminds us that you are not in control. Mm. You are asking the wrong questions. Um. Like. To stop it. Stop thinking of. Stop thinking so highly of yourself. Mm. Stop thinking so lowly of yourself. Mm. Um, and let's let's get about the business of like being formed in ways where the gospel is um, breaking through in our lives and in the world. Mm. Mm. 
No, that's really good. In some ways, it's very convicting even just me hearing that because <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I mean, you may surprise, uh, but yeah. it's, it's um, because like I'm, I guess, speaking personally now, like I'm one of those people who'd love to, to seek to know and to seek to understand, but it's always a humble reminder that in the pursuit of, of knowing it isn't the same as the pursuit of controlling and what would it be like to, to always yeah. wanting to, to, to know and to learn, but in ways that don't ultimately seek to control or just think that I've got to work out. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that we ever end, we'll ever really master that skill. I think Mm. it's just, it is the art is, it daily reminds us to like continue to get ourselves off the cross. Yeah, it's good. um, And continue to allow Christ to be Christ. And, and, uh, you know, if people have the critique of like, well, you you know, you just want to like enter into unknowingness and like just, waffle and, and and rubbish um like it's it's a constant reminder for us to let christ be christ our, our heart is turned towards um yeah letting christ be king mm. um you know if they, if, if they want to critique us for it fantastic but like our intention will always be to let christ be king mm. Mm. that's and right then, yeah know, not us yeah and i think that that's a healthy healthy way of of putting it because even even in myself sensing that pushback of um of allowing kind of that, that sense of endless knowing that mystery but then once again the the imminence of god can still still be present in all of that because i mean i i'm such an incarnational guy like i i really am even though i i i mean that's why i love the incarnation because there's still mystery there but it's done in a way that's still ground yeah. reality um so i on one hand i can't make make mysticism to anything I want because we do have the face of yeah. God revealed in Jesus. Yeah. But then I don't have that face pinned down, you know, all, all worked out and the crevices. I'm like, Oh yes, yeah, so this is exactly what God is like. And I fully, fully, fully understand it all. It's like, no, yeah. Christ has revealed himself, but that doesn't mean yeah. God got that all figured out. That's always a, a pursuit of, of um, learning to love God more and love becoming a, its own means of knowing in the process. Oh, there's, that's there's that, some, don't, don't quote me on that. I think that's, that's no, no, that's some, that's some <laughs> meaty, meaty, meaty territory. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. good stuff. It is good stuff. Um, that, it's the beauty of um, Jesus Christ. It's yes. the beauty of the fact that like he's Jesus. Absolutely. But Christ wasn't his second name. Mm. Christ is the fact that like he is transcendent and above and God's chosen. And, mm. uh, and, and, you know, you know, the Franciscans who talk about, um, you know, Christ being at the creation of the universe, Christ being mm. bringing uh, all of matter into existence, and mm. so uh, there is Jesus, the man, and there is Christ, the uh, the. Uh, I don't even, we don't even have words to like <laughs> properly say this without getting in trouble, but like uh, the fact that like he is both man and God, yes, together, mm. um, is uh, it informs so much but it should also like uninform us so much mm, mm. and i think it's that the christianity has for me always been this juggle of um holding things and not holding things like yes. getting my hand around something but then holding it so lightly yes because i'm aware that um i'm both you know th- this this part player in the story of god's creation but i'm yep. also if i was the only person that christ that was alive that christ would die for me Mm, yes and so like learning to hold our um both of these extremes essentially or both of these kind of almost dueling concepts together is probably the 
only best, I mean, best way forward, only way forward. For yeah. me, it's the only way forward. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. And, and that makes sense, especially the notion of, of holding lightly. I mean, the, the metaphor I like to, to use, and it's not my metaphor, I forgot who said it though. Uh, I read it in a book somewhere. But anyway, um, it was to have faith almost like holding on to a butterfly rather than trying to clench diamonds there's yeah. you know when, when we're trying to clench diamonds it's like ah, oh, i've got the ownership and i've got all and it's mine and it's all yeah. precious but if, if yeah. faith is like holding the butterfly you are holding something so there is this sense of of something that's in in your hand but there's a gentleness to it there's yeah. a controlling factor like clench clenching it um it's it's like holding the butterfly you, you are holding it but nonetheless there's a, a there's an open-handedness to to that yeah. especially with how we approach our faith and how we approach faith probably more generally yeah it's alive man yeah um just i just want to shift back quickly because i'm i'm sorry but there's just some things i'm like oh i really want to just unpack this um yeah with many music genres in the world do you think the church kind of ought to engage with these different sounds that exist or um um, when I say the church, I really am speaking more on a on a congregational level, right? Yeah. Like yeah, people yeah. having the ability to sing songs and whatnot. It's why I'm not necessarily against songs with with very easy lyrics per se on a Sunday morning because you want it you want it to be for the for the common denominator of all people. But anyway, yeah. that that aside, you know, with all these different genres and sounds that we do have out there, uh, should the church engage with these different sounds that exist? And if so, how do we, we do that in ways that aren't, to be very honest, in, in some circles, very cheesy? Like, how do, we, yeah. how do we engage these sounds? If we do it all, I don't know. I would just point it out there for you. Well, uh, that's, I mean, it's a, it's a bit of a can of worms question because uh, I, look, I think if, if, if something sounds cheesy, um, like, why is that? Is that because you are replicating something that you don't, know how to do well mm. is it a critique on the genre is it a critique on um you know the 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 context of that genre uh so uh so for example if, if it's a critique on um people's inability to do that so like you you're asking people to play like dance hall mm. tunes and the drummer doesn't know how to do it and um it sounds cheesy because it's just it sounds like you know or you or you know, like gospel music, right? And you've got like four white guys trying to play gospel music, and you're like, I, like you haven't been formed in the in the tradition. Yeah. Um. But more importantly, you haven't put the hours in That's to do right. that. Yeah. And so, um, a lot of you know this stuff is like, guys, you just have to be better musicians. Stop being like, especially in the church, right? Like the mm. church is forget the concert hall. The church is the place that we should bring our absolute pinnacle of creativity. Mm, yeah, yeah and of art and of our skill and so mm. if you like i'm i like god bless volunteers and god bless people who are like giving it their um you know who volunteer on a sunday and who um who have full-time jobs and have to work and and you know god bless those people mm. um because that, that you know they're putting their hand up to willingly serve um but i think that if you see that as like your like your little space to like, well, this is what I'm going to do. Like you get importance from that rather than recognizing that you don't count. 
Hmm. I mean, for, for example, in a band, you don't count. Like if you're a band, it's not like five soloists. It's like one group of people. So, yeah. you know, get over yourself because no one cares about you individually. We care about yeah. a singular unit that you have now become. Mm. Mm. Um, but also just like the, we need to be great at what we do because we, we're offering to God. We're not offering to the world. We're not offering mm. to like our ego. Mm. What we're doing, we're presenting to the king of the universe. And if you're showing up, not prepared and mm. playing crappy stuff. And so if it's a critique on their playing, then like guys, we have to be better because we're not, mm. we're not just, you know, playing little songs to impress people in the, in the congregation or to impress pastors. So we could like maybe one day be a worship pastor and get on staff. Mm. That's crap. Mm. Like, <laughs> you're, like we have to understand what we're doing here. And if that isn't worth giving, the very best of your craft and your effort and your time. If that isn't worth doing, like go, go join a cover band. Mm. Mm. Um, so there's that, that's, that's my rant over. I apologize for that. Um, but then uh, should we be engaging with different genres? I think that we should, because like music is, there's so much to music that we don't know and we are um, still learning and evolving. Like sure. There are only so many chords. Um, but we, uh, the the combination of how we do, there are always new things to be found, new ways to say things, new ways to uh, to communicate musically as well as lyrically. Um, I think it's just this great adventure. And why wouldn't you want to grab a hold of um, all of these new ways of doing things? Uh, now, congregational, it being a useful thing to a congregation. Um, for us, the litmus test has been uh, looking at what our writers at Hillsong are doing in regards to where we've been able to push the boundary, where we haven't, what we've, you know, mm. the questions of like, oh, we shouldn't say, we shouldn't be saying things like that about God. It's just, they're uninteresting to me. Mm. Like, which everything should be said in, in uh, old King James in language. It's like, that's, that's just dumb. That's no one, that's, that's not even an argument. Go, go away with that weak stuff. Um, <laughs> Like we should be finding new ways to say things um, uh, and new ways that like engage our minds and engage our, you know, metaphor is brilliant. Metaphor is the collision of these two things that don't belong together that now have created a new way of perceiving something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so uh, genres are metaphors. They're collisions of different styles that didn't belong together. And now they do. And they're forging ahead with a new, expression a new way of understanding a new way of seeing things um yeah i'm just a, a fan I'm, a, I'm an apologist for like the progressive nature of music is still unfolding we don't mm. have it all we're you know we can be a, a musician who practices eight hours a day mm. um for 80 years and still be discovering new things about our instrument music is so wide and vast mm. and expansive like that um so wide and deep that it basically allows us to uh, never reach the end of it. Mm. So, uh, you know, that's my, I'm highly philosophical in, in, in regards to highly ideological in regards to like the nature of music. So that kind of influences the way that I answer that question. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, that, and the fact that like, you know, one of the young and free songs recently, uh, has a, has a line about, um, Dylan, about Bob Dylan. About Bob Dylan. Um, yeah. Yeah, about, yeah. like Dylan said, uh, you know, the times they're changing. 
Mm. And I love that line so much. So do I. So do I. Right? It's, it's a very good line. Yeah. People can get narky about it, but I'm like, this is brilliant. Like, yeah. uh, this is a song I want to sing. This is a yes. song that, like, yes. speaks to a reference point in culture that I know, I understand, I know what's going on here. Mm. Um, I I love that. I'm all for more of that. Yes. Because I, you know, also being a part of church music for a long time. Yeah. Oh, man, you can get bored pretty easily with four chords. <laughs> yeah. On on like a human novelty level, on a yeah. sheer novelty level. Yeah. Um, finding new ways to express ancient truths, finding new ways to like engage the tired and bored human soul. Mm. Um, I think it's fantastic because we. C- I can't save anyone. My lyrics can't save anyone. All that they can do is point them to someone who can transform their lives. Yes. And if I, if I need to do that in a way that, that shakes people out of their indifference or their cliche, because cliche is only like good things that have been said a lot. Mm, mm. Like you listen to Brown Eyed Girl, that's a great song, but it's so cliche. You hear that riff and you're like, oh, great. Mm. It's only until you stop and listen again. Mm. You're like, oh, wait, this is a great song. This is like, there's, it has everything here. It has all yeah. the hits. Yeah. Um, so it's the sheer like shaking people out of their uh, autopilot when it comes to like the expectations of congregational worship. Mm. And um, I think that our church does that really well. Like we keep moving the ball forward mm. um, and mm. people keep going with us. You know, sometimes it's a, it's not a fine art. We're not, um, haven't, you know, exactly figured out how to do it well, but the fact that we're still trying to like push the ball forward and with us so like what congregationally wouldn't have been okay to sing 10 years ago in regards to you got to say it these ways you got to you know the melody has to be like that you can't use too much syncopation you can't do that you can't have a beat that works like that mm-hmm. like all of that is progressive moving forward and our congregation is testament to the fact that no people will sing that no people will yeah engage in that yes like yes. with you you know people are we we often tell people what they like beforehand it's like Apple, right? They go like, this is, people are going to love this. Yeah, you're going to love no, it. No one, you're going to no love it. Seen it. And here it is. Yeah. No one's seen it. So there, are, you've got to go out. There's a, a certain amount of bravery of you getting out in front and presenting a, a new genre, presenting yeah. a new way of saying things. There's there's a bravery in going, no, you're going to love saying this about God. It's going gonna, it's gonna to open up your eyes to a new aspect mm-hmm. of his character. Even if you aren't used to this way of engaging with the character of God yet. Yes. Yes. And I think you use this particular metaphor as well as you were explaining this about like the ball, kind of like moving the ball forward, moving the ball forward. And yeah. it, a, an example of a song in our church, which I think kind of really, I mean, I'm speaking personally, of course, you, you may or may not feel the same, but um, So Will I, the song So Will I was just oh. that, oh, that, now that wasn't just move the ball slightly forward. <laughs> that was like, yeah. let's, Let's move it forward big time. I mean, it, in, in right. some way, I mean, in some circles, some Christian circles are still up controversy around one word. But anyway, that's that's another topic for another time. But I mean, that was, leave it, leaving that alone. Yeah, but I mean, it was it was such a profound song in terms of yeah. I, I, when I when I speak to to particular friends um, about about our church, um, and and my approach is just. It's just trying to get bring bring just honesty about about our church. I think I think some people have some misconceptions and around the music. I'm like, guys, 
listen to music done the last five years. Like if you listen to music, like and don't get me wrong, the music 10 years ago is still beautiful and, and whatnot. This isn't a, a throwing of shade or anything. It's just interesting to get people to go, actually like see that there's a transformation, see that there's yeah. a movement, see that there's an evolution um, that's yeah. kind of moved through, through Hillsong and yeah. expanded beyond Hillsong just to talk about music in general in, in relationship to church. Um, engaging that new sound and engaging and also engaging theologically um, about how how our theology will inform our music and even perhaps our music inform our theology as well to actually kind of bring bring people forward I do, anyway I just want to bring up that song because that was just that was yeah that was just an incredible turning point I found I mean speaking personally of course that was yeah an incredible turning point both even theologically but even in kind of pushing the envelope so to speak and engaging engaging yeah. new sounds and new ways yeah yeah mm. no it's it's yeah joel he's he's a, he's, he's, a, he's a beast <laughs> he's like, oh my gosh <laughs> he's an absolute weapon and, yeah. and can can write a song joel can mm. write a song yeah <laughs> <laughs> nah it was good um, so yeah. when it comes to how the church has seen its relationship to music, is there anything you think the church needs to repent of? Um, no, I mean, look, we're all, we're all on a different journey, right? There are churches that don't allow drums. Uh, and then there are churches that don't allow instruments. You, it's all has to be acapella. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, I, I love the breadth of the body of Christ in that. Like I, I would have, I would love going to a church service where it's just acapella. Yeah. That would be kind like, of cool. Right. You know what I mean? Like there's like, they're talented as well. I'm not, I'm not willing to call these people out for whatever. I'm just like that. If that's the way that you do it, that's cool. Let, yeah, like, yeah. let me go and engage in that. Let me go mm-hmm. and take part of that because like sometimes the, uh, the high production value of Hillsong church can be fatiguing. Mm-hmm. Like that's, it's it's you know and 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 as such like also like the archipelago nature of that church can be fatiguing mm, that's like right. it's the whole it's i think it's just that human novelty mm. um so no i mean uh anything with a relation that ch- well okay look i mean there has been some horrific you know uh uh mistakes of um uh church music i'm just trying to think of like really uncool church music that people need to repeat <laughs> And so, yeah, and look, repent can um, be a strong word. I don't mean it in its dirty word. <laughs> I mean it in like, what do we have to do a one eighty degree turn, or like, where do we have to kind of think differently or reflect differently as it relates to our relationship to music and church? Um, I mean, personally, I would love to see uh, the focus. Um, oh, I mean, it's not even true. Like, I the the art form of a of a sermon. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. The art of how you deliver a story, the art of like the narrative, the art of like landing points, the art of like you're using your voice and, and mm. pause and rhythm to try and like send points home. Um, yeah. Th- you know, there's, there's such beauty in the way that that's done as well. Um, however, I would love to see a little bit more of a shift away from the supremacy of the, of the, the defined word mm. 
um, which I think also has to do with like, kind of like we need to also get rid of like that, the ego of um, the great man, the great speaker, the great, like, I look, I'm pumped for you to deliver words, but like if our churches are centered around people who um, just, just so excited to read their thoughts each week out to like people, mm. um, I think that there are better ways for us to be formed into spiritual practice. And I think that um, often as Pentecostals, getting into liturgy, uh, you know, ancient liturgy for us is beautiful. Getting into like um, the the Book of Common Prayer and the prayer book of the Church of England that kind of like there are patterns and forms that mm. I think us entering into that can be really wonderful and restorative and and, and healthy. Um, so I, I think, I just you know, moving us away from that, which is like the, these ego practices that we sometimes don't need. Um, and I think art offers us a way to do that because it it moves us into the tangible and intangible. Yeah. Um, and you can't, you know, sure we can talk about how great these songwriters are and how good this worship leader is and like, you know, how great their hair is this morning or whatever. But um, I, I think the act of like the the, the art of the song be, is less about uh, it's less about how this person jeeves up and more about how we are being transformed mm. um, in uh, these tangible, intangible ways. These, yeah. I, because we're just trying to say, like, I, I reckon we should move away from the things which are, you know, so certain and, mm. uh, and, and the, the safety of the, um, the defined, the mm. boxed in the three points mm. and into something. Well, also, I mean, I have... Challenged some of the people in our uh, in our leadership. People I love. This it's not like a challenge, challenge, but it's like, yeah, a, hey, what what if we um what if we preach the message like Jesus preached? What if you got up and told a, a parable, and you stepped off the stage? <laughs> mm. And so that what happened is you didn't give people three points to go follow, but you gave them a story of the character of God, which was perhaps a little bit jarring and and mm. and in prophetic in the fact that it kind of like demonstrates the kingdom of god in a way which was very demonstrative and 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 um it was, it was about the way that the story was told and mm. it sticks in their brain and they have to then go away and go what did that what did that mean yeah what happened i suspect that that kind of a preaching mm. would um make the messages uh, perhaps be a little more transformative because you haven't fed people the answers that they yeah. then have to go. Yeah. What does that even mean? And it gets stuck in their head in the way that a good melody does. Yeah. Yeah. Perhaps that, that's, that's just some of the things that I'd like to, to test out and to see if that's something that we could maybe incorporate into our modern liturgies. So how has the musical act of worship brought about wider social change in the world? I mean, um, on a, I think there have been shifts, right? So like on a personal level, we, we, it transforms us individually, mm-hmm. which, um, if we're being honest, I think that's really the call of what it means to be a Christian It's not for us to like go and mandate yeah. a, uh, a governmental control. It's like mm-hmm. you need to have a response to your neighbors first and foremost um that that brings about that so like if there's any shifts and change brought about by christianity 
Um, I think it's more effective when it becomes a, a change that uh, is set off in the hearts and minds of um, a million everyday people Yes, that can transform the way that they interact with their community. Mm. Um, so I think that worship has the power to do that on that macro um, individual level. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think that there have been things that have come out through the, the worship um, and what's songs of worship that have influenced the way that we um, interact church wide. And so, you know, songs like blessed be your name, which like talk about the fact that you give, you take away this understanding of mm. the nature of God, which is like, yeah, regardless of whether we, you know, helps us pull away from the tri triumphalism or the defeatism, but like regardless of whether things are good or things are bad, we bless God. Mm. Um, and so that, uh, that leading to societal change and that leading to the way that we interact with people. Um, mm. I think that, uh, like a societal change, like a shift in society. Mm. See, um, I mean, I, like the, 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 the revivals of history, mm. um, have often been led by, you know, prayer and worship and mm. those songs of, of that have influenced, Influenced, you know, the way that we change as a society and, and, you know, communities have been changed by that revival. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that, I mean, if we look at, I think that music has the power to, to change countries and change, you know, stop wars and stuff like that. Mm. I think that the protest songs of like the Vietnam war made yeah. that war untenable. Mm, yes yeah um and uh, you know is is that a worship song mm, yeah, it's a I song that advocates yeah. for peace yeah, yeah is that yeah. a worship song mm. um so there are ways in which that happens there are ways in which um you know themes of songs will shift the human consciousness in a way mm. that makes um injustice untenable mm. um yeah no i i actually haven't properly study i'm sure there are great examples no that's 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 all good but i mean i think i think you're touching on on certain things though that that really i think it will get our listeners kind of thinking more reflectively about about how how the musical act of worship could could bring about social change especially on on the two fronts i think you mentioned on the more of the the individual level of like we're, we're influenced well we're stirred up through a song but person, yeah. but then it expands, right? Because then person next to me is, and all of a sudden the individual becomes a collective yeah. and then that collective feels mobilized and, and has a bigger vision of yeah. what God's doing in the world through yeah. what they've just heard and listened and got caught up in to then allow yeah. themselves that then get caught up in for a cause or for something that brings about yeah. the common good or, um, yeah. or stirs the hearts of their neighborhood or yeah. people around them. And, and then to flip it, also um, kind of working the other way around as well, um, staying on the more macro level, I think you've also touched on, yeah, like, you know, those, like, um, yeah, particular songs, you know, especially the Vietnamese War, how the protest yeah. songs factored into yeah. that. Um, I probably need to be fact-checked on this, but um, <laughs> but uh, I'm just thinking of the song Oh Holy Night. And um, I don't know too much of the history, but I know there was some an interesting intersection with the time the song Oh Holy Night came about 
and the conversation around slavery in particular parts of the world because there's, a, there's that lyrics in the songs that change shall we break wow. um, for yeah. the slave is our brother and it's the actually there's actually as I, I gotta be fat check but I'm pretty cool. sure yeah. there was a kind of sociopolitical yeah. commentary around um, slavery yeah, yeah. on the history in particular parts of the world that was going on so anyway it's just interesting yeah, yeah how the power of music um, whether it starts on the more micro level of the individual then working, expanding that way, or whether there's a song from a group or somebody that becomes a whit large and then starts to make its way. And then, of course, the intersection of those two, right? Yeah. Um, Protest songs are so important, man. Yes, yeah. Mm. Like um, that and, I I don't know, did you uh, get a chance to encounter um, uh, Propaganda? The, yes, the yes. Artists? I like one or two of his songs. One or two. Um, yeah. Um, Precious Puritans and oh, I forgot the other one. But anyway, no. I, his 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 like poetry on um I hate cats. Oh yeah, is phenomenal because it it for me it like it does the role of art where it carries you in people's shoes. And um, this is one of the great things about art is it mm. puts you in someone else's shoes before your prejudice can recognize what's gone, what's mm, happened. Wow. And yeah. so it, uh, it basically, uh, it's this whole thing of like, I hate cats because we're a, we're a dog family. We're not a cat family. And mm. it, it becomes apparent that what he's talking about is like um, you know, interracial relationships. Wow. And, um, and, but because you're like, because you're so invested in this, like, you know, cats are the worst and dogs are the greatest. And, and like, you're so invested in this journey that like he, brings you all the way through until finally you recognize that this is not about cats and dogs anymore. Mm. And if I was, I, I did hold a position about, um, inter, inter, interracial relationships, um, that I have now been wow. transformed somewhere else where I don't really get to hold that yeah. position anymore. Mm. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So like it, it, it carries people in other people's shoes before they have a chance to recognize the walls of their own prejudices. Yes. Um, and I think that's one of the great um, purposes of art. And I think it's one of the responsibilities of artists mm. is to be creating art that carries you into other people's perspectives so that you can no longer hold some of the toxic yes. um, viewpoints that you've once held. Yes. Yes, and it's like it reminds me of that that transformative power of story, of course, interrelating with the art form. Um, yeah. How is it that, um, you know, in the context of music, that we can use music store storefully? That's probably another word. Storyfully <laughs> and artfully um, to actually yeah. bring about um, a change in thinking, a change of view in the world, whether individual yeah. on a societal level or or both. And so perhaps just. Shifting to the last question, and this is more to do with practice. I guess this is where I'm, I'm going with this. You know, what can we do as, as a practice? Um, and maybe maybe singing is, is enough and, and really reflecting is enough, but I'll ask the question anyway. And that is for those of us who, you know, perhaps we don't professionally sing or, or play a, a musical instrument, what, what might our role be when it comes to the musical act of worship? Um, the look, I, I, just, I just think that uh, it hits us um, whether we're searching for it or not. Mm. Um, Aaron Copeland has 
is this kind of matrix of how we listen to music. Um, uh, it's got written a book called How to Listen to Music, which is fantastic. Because yeah, right. Okay. I thought we were, you know, maybe hearing it all the time. We didn't really need a masterclass in it. But he talks about the fact that there's um, one of the ways to perceive it is that there's this triangle of listening, which is one is um, the uh, the sensuous, which is like you just, it's you enjoy the music for music's sake. Like it's it's mm. worth enjoying. And it hits you on that level. One is the um, emotive and so it hits you. It speaks to your feelings, emotions. It speaks to like the message of what it's trying to carry to you. Um, mm. The subtext of what's going on. The, there's there's intention behind mm. that music. And then it speaks to you on the Sheely musical level, which is the level of um, the uh, the time signature, the tempo, the the beat, the mm. the key that it's in, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, stuff that you know musicians like to obsess about. Mm. And so um, this music, uh, obviously the more that you know about it, the more that it, you are, your enjoyment of it is greater, the more that you're able to draw from it. Um, but if we are always analyzing or always just trying to get the, the deeper meaning out of music rather than just allowing the music to hit us and it becomes something that we enjoy. And mm. so I think like the art gallery, we, uh, we don't need to be analyze every single lyric in, um, a song for the ways in which the thousand ways in which our theology can be better. I think sometimes when it hits us, mm. we don't need to be analyzing it. We know that the fabric of our being is being transformed. Yeah. Um, and so singing along, uh, uh, allowing these things to enter our heart, you know, obviously you want to test things, but you know, Hillsong, we have a rigorous <laughs> testing model. We've got um, Robert and Amanda who like, okay, every line of lyric so that it, it gets through because we're like, we don't have, have people seeing things that aren't true. Mm, mm. Um, and so there is a, you know, we value that quality control of lyrics because we don't want people to be saying yeah. uh, the wrong things. Um, and so you can, it, it can infiltrate our spirits. It can get into our, our, our systems uh, without us having to like trying to analyze every single word. Mm. Um, however, sometimes that's a really healthy practice to do is yeah. rather than singing songs mm. in a service say the words like what are mm. these words yeah rather than just allowing the the song to mm. fl- uh, you know f- uh, to flow over you with, with the melody like what are these words actually saying yeah totally um that and the fact that also something happens when we communal breathe mm. um oxytocin is released when we uh sync our breathing together when we sing together when we have synced up our breathing which often happens when we sing in a congregation Mm. Um, there is, um, a love for each other mm. that we express that is, um, chemically set off by the fact that we sing together. Mm. Mm. Um, and so when the Bible talks about, you know, um, when two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst, you know, mm. basically the spirit of unity, mm. like mm. on a chemical level, that's yeah. what's happening when we sing with wow. each other. So I think that's a healthy practice mm. regardless Yes. Um, so, you know, I think there's that. Uh, um, plus, yeah, man, if I'm, if I'm being like off the deep end, ideological and philosophical, man, music has the power to mm. shake us to our cause and transform the very matter of our being, regardless of whether we know it yes. or not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that's the ways in which we can engage in uh, the, the music of worship in ways that are transformative for us. No, that's, that's really good. I, I hear almost two practices there. And I think the practices 
will be for different seasons of life and, and perhaps different personalities. Like for some people, we just really do have to allow ourselves to be kind of um, taken up in the moment of what is happening as we engage, yeah. engage in worship, engage in the musical act of worship. And then on the other hand, once again, maybe a different personality or a different season of life to actually go, actually, let me slow down and also take in like, let, what am I actually saying? What am I actually doing? So it's just, I think those are two practices, which some people might see as a contradiction. I see it as a healthy <laughs> ebb and flow of life. You know, Everything like, is the contradiction. That's right. That's right. And uh, I mean, speaking personally, I'm probably in a season of life where I actually have to slow down and actually take in lyrics. So I'm like, okay, actually, what am I, what do these lyrics mean? I mean, yeah. th th that's also how my brain works as well. Like I'm very, yeah. um, I can listen to music for years and not actually know what all the lyrics are because I, I get more <laughs> caught up in the actual music and, and lyrics to, to an extent, but there's this swirl that's going on in me. And sometimes I'm like, you know what? I've never actually read the lyrics. I don't even think I could sing the song <laughs> without, without actually, I had to actually stop <laughs> and actually, like, what am I, what are the lyrics here? It's because we've been listening to Bon Iver for decades. <laughs> <laughs> and he just mumbles his way through. We're just like, oh. his melodies are amazing, but I don't know what he's saying anymore. Yes, that's right. <laughs> and maybe it's how my brain works as well. I'm very like, um, my brain picks up on sound more than it does kind of lyrics. So I'm very, yeah. my, first yeah, draw, I, I my, my first kind of visceral draw would be to a tempo or a beat or a, a particular yeah. sound or its lyrics. Yeah. And, um, but then I'm like, if, if once I get drawn into the song, I'm like, Oh, I should, I should want to know what the lyrics are to this song. You know? <laughs> it's like, Oh, that's really interesting. It's those sneaky drums, man. The beat, the beat gets you. Oh, the beat does every time, every time. <laughs> oh, Dave, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you, mate. It's just been, it's been fantastic speaking to you. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm really, I'm really looking forward to people listening to this episode. Yeah, me too, man. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode with David Andrew. Now, to find David Andrew, um, I would highly recommend listening to his music on Spotify. It's simply David Andrew. And if you type that in, and if you see a guy with a hat on stage, <laughs> that's certainly him. That's his little, little background banner, at least on the desktop version of Spotify. Um, but he has numerous albums on here such as modern hymns that came out in 2021 david and friends sing at christmas which i personally it's one of my favorites the sleep project as well as many others hymns and christmas around the piano the kitchen tapes so on and so forth there are just some really good really good things to check out on his spotify he is also on instagram at David J. Andrew, all one word, no underscores or anything like that, David J. Andrew. And so give him a follow and give his work a follow, um, an incredible human being. And yeah, that's, that is today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it and I will see you next time. If you like what you listen to today, then please subscribe to this show, leave a review, and share with your friends. To follow my work, find me on either Facebook at Nathan.Forster or Instagram and Twitter at 
Nathan underscore Forster. Or find me at nathanforster.com.